Welcome everyone to Talking Data. I'm Kristen Radish of Arbor Research and Trading, and I'm joined today by Jim Bianco, Bianco Research, and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the very hot topic, inflation. Jim, why don't you get us started? Um, we'll talk first about the case for inflation. Yeah, so the case for inflation, I think comes down into a couple of parts. Uh, the first part is booming commodity prices, although that will also be in the case against, which we'll talk about in a second. But across the board, commodity prices are going higher, whether it's grains, whether it's industrial metals. About the only two things that are really not moving up are precious metals and energy. Energy kind of sort of is moving up uh, away from the colonial pipeline um, issue as well, too. The second, uh, I think, story for inflation is surveys. If you look at the uh, regional Fed surveys and the ISM survey, their prices paid indexes <coughs> are at a 40-year high. The National, National Federation of Independent Businesses also has something similar. They ask uh, small businesses about their costs. They're at a 40-year high as well, too. So you've got all of those going. The third thing I think would be the tips break-even market, the break-even rates, especially on the five-year Break even are right at the 2008 peak, about to go to the highest level since 2006, at least on a closing basis. Uh, so you're very, very close to 15 year high in that one. And then one of the Fed favorites for inflation is the surveys of consumers done by the Conference Board in the University of Michigan. Their surveys of consumer expectations of inflation are also moving up as well, too. In the case of one year forward consumer, what do they expect for inflation over the next year? It's the highest level since the Great Recession. And to underscore that, typically the consumer surveys will track gasoline prices. Now, these are monthly surveys. You know, there is some gasoline prices very high because of the Colonial Pipeline only for the last day. They're not in the survey. But by and large, gasoline prices are not up. So it's a perception that everything else is coming. And then on the fundamental side, you've got a giant budget deficit. You've got a bunch of transfer payments from the government in the form of stimulus checks. You've got a very high savings rate as well, too. So there's the, the, there's the, the tindling for demand. People have got money. We've mailed them money. We've got high savings rates. If we get some confidence in the economy and they go spend that money, we could get some demand for higher prices as well. Yeah, so yeah, markets are set up for this and you know, tips break even, especially the five-year space is probably one of the best assets to have held uh, surprisingly on a risk-adjusted basis. Its sharp ratio over the past year is a stellar almost four and a half to one. That's beating out anything and everything. That includes ARC that we were joking about before this call that beats out um, commodity, major commodities. It beats out lumber that's been, you know, high-flying crypto. Anything you throw in it, it's, it's impressive. The, the steadiness Not of that rise has been nothing but amazing. Now, hasn't the beat, only issue hasn't is- beat Dogecoin. Hasn't oh, beat that's Dogecoin. true, okay. I take it back, Dogecoin, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot going on that we do have some historical precedent and examples to compare to. You know, a big one is 2010, 2011, coming out of the recession, we did see a very similar surge in commodities that did not lead to sustaining inflation. We also saw tips break evens nicely widen. At those same times, we also see, saw ISM, as well as many other Fed surveys, printing and screaming about inflation. 
Uh, and historically, those type of surges in ISM and other prices paid type surveys have been a hairbanger of really a demolishment in coming inflation over the months to come. Now, um, I've slowly been uh, kind of agreeing with Jim, I think, on the inflation outlook, just because there's such huge supply dislocations and there's structural issues at play here. And anytime you hear the word structural and there really is an issue, that means it's going to take a heck of a long time to fix. And that's not something that gets done in a month, two months, or three months. So that the fact of the matter is manufacturing had a, has a, such a strange thing going on. They had, they've lost jobs, you know, in transportation, we lost like 74,000 jobs last month, which is just beyond, but sounds bonkers given the amount of demand for truck drivers, you know, different manufacturing, labor, transportation, distribution, and so on. So it creates kind of this, I think, a, a strange um, uh, kind of scenario for manufacturing where they have limited capacity. They don't have the ability to expand production because they are either running at capacity, they haven't put the capex into it, that's the case of lumber, for example, with all the sawmills, or they can't get the truck drivers and so on to get online to help uh, get these loads. And there's a high degree of loads. If you look at some of these websites that basically match loads to trucks, and the, I think Truck Stop is one of them, there's an incredible amount of loads that are just sitting out there that need to be picked up. But if you look at the chart of trucks and truck drivers that are willing to do that, it's just still plummeting. Um, and that is something, again, structural, it's gonna take time, and that leads to higher costs. Uh, shortage, as we've talked about, shortages, as we've talked about, is a form of inflation. And some of that is gonna get passed on to the consumer. Um, so what I'm looking at, for example, we have CPI coming out here, uh, recording this uh, the day before, and CPI is expected to come in around 30 basis points, and that's right where it was last month. You do not get strings of, C, of core CPI above 20 basis points that often. We saw it for just a brief time, June, July, August of last year. Um, not surprising come out of the pandemic, but this time around, um, uh, you know, I think we need to look back at some other historical precedents, and that's really only happened, since, you know, I think it happened in 06, 07. Otherwise, you're gonna go back to the really early 1990s. So stringing together a core CPI above 20 basis points, specifically I've been getting for three consecutive months to me is a game changer and we'll see if that can happen. Jim, we're gonna turn next to you to give us the case against inflation. Uh, the case against inflation, uh, I think Ben, you're best off talking about the case against inflation. Um, give <laughs> sure. me your three best shots uh, on the case against inflation. <laughs> well, I got there, there's the good old DGT, like we've always talked about, demographics, globalization, and technology. And that's something that, again, is structural and that has had a major, major footprint on inflation and keeping it low. So you can explain a whole heck of a lot of CPI just by looking at the aging of our population um, and specifically too in Europe. So we, you do have, that's a, certainly a case against. The other one is that we've seen similar rises in commodities, 2011 is the perfect instance. Um, we didn't see it um, endure for that much longer beyond that period. Um, uh, now I will go ahead and push back a little bit. This is something I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, you know, for us to see sustained inflation over the long haul, we might need some of this demographics to shift. And one thing I think that people are missing is this might actually be happening and we don't even really realize it. And that is that the aging of East Asia, specifically China, is finally catching up 
Uh, if you look at their old age dependency ratios, now I'm going to a totally different tangent, hopefully you guys don't mind. But if you look at their old age dependency ratios, basically they're uh, those over 65 to the working age population of like 18 to 64 years old. Um, all of a sudden that ratio compared to Europe and the US is rapidly catching up. I think that's gonna have the opposite impact that people have seen since the 1980s with the aging of Europe and the US and really young cheap labor from East Asia that could be kind of flipped on its head. And I think it's gonna happen within the next two, three years, which will mean that we could finally see sticky CPI or core CPI uh, rebound. So maybe that's something to watch, but getting back to the case against, um, I mean, there's just countless examples, unfortunately, since 1980, of every time we've freaked out about inflation, it hasn't come to fruition. It's just that this time around, I think we do have some real structural issues. Um, demographics might be changing and influencing higher inflation uh, down the road. And then like you've always talked about, Jim, the fiscal stimulus is definitely different and the degree of rise in personal income is definitely different. Um, so there are plenty of markers to be enthusiastic about inflation. That's why I get the investors are, are you know, kind of following for it hook, line, and sinker. Um, and just got to see if we get these strings of you know, core CPI above 20 basis points. You know, on DGT, I just wanted to say real quick that uh, I agree with you on that. And that's why when we talk about inflation returning, it's important to put this in the context because, you know, when you say inflation is returning, you know, if you're of a certain age, you think Zimbabwe. And if you're of another age, you think the late 70s. And then I'd say, no, I'll, I'll go with that. We're going to have consistently a three handle on inflation. Well, that's not inflation. A three handle is like, well, if we get that, it'll be the highest level that we've had in 28 years. I'm talking about headline inflation, two and a half on core. And if we get that for a sustained period of time and the market realizes it and decides to move those deeply negative real rates to positive, you could see a three-handle approaching a four-handle on 10-year notes in the next year or two. That would be very painful for bond investors to have a move from about 160 where we are right now to you know, the high threes in the next two years or so. And so you, we gotta put this in the context. I know that when you say inflation, everybody goes, so where's Weimar? Well, no, we're, we're not gonna go there because of DGT, because of demographics, globalization, and technology, unless some of those fall apart. And Ben's right about the, the, the numbers that came out with the, uh, the census numbers that came out of China yesterday, they really were quite surprising on how much that they've uh, that they've changed in just the last couple of years. So I, I agree that that will help hold inflation down. And I feel like when I have these inflation debates, we're kind of, um, maybe not with Ben, but with others, um, we're talking about the same thing. Some people will point out these struck, these long-term big things and say, look, we won't have inflation. And then I'll say, yeah, but I think we can have three handle for a while. And they'll go, well, yeah, I think you can have that, but that's not inflation. And then I'd say, well, actually, I think that is inflation because you haven't had a three-handle on inflation consistently since the early 1990s. And if the bond market reacts to that with a positive real yield, you're going to have a quite the move in interest rates should that all unfold like that. Yeah, and even the the very basics of like this, like you've always talked about too, Jim, the the stock bond relationship. That's you know we've seen that crash basically to you know zero a uh, zero correlation. Um, which means that you know investors are kind of on the fence here, and also thinking that something's changing. You know, in that the bond market's no longer this great hedge against the stock market. Even on an intraday basis, that's happening. I don't care if you look at five-minute, ten-minute borrowers uh, or so on. 
but you know the the I agree the big thing is that if we can get a stair step higher in sticky or core inflation after a recession, which just has not happened since the 1980s, that is you know that is different and that is a game changer and that's something investors will have to incorporate in terms of an inflation risk premium into pretty much anything um, and everything. So, you know, we'll have to see, you know, I think that the Fed, they're going to require the this, what we've just discussed, a numerous, you know, strong high prints. I think if we get three consecutive really strong core CPI prints, that's going to really be an, uh, a lot of push the Fed. And that, remember, that's going to be right ahead of essentially what Jackson Hole. Um, and maybe that would be what we, is needed in order to see the taper begin, uh, which would be, again, big for risk assets. Um, and so if we can't do that, um, and we get core CPI, let's say it's a huge surprise tomorrow, comes out as a big goose egg, which would be a shock, just like non-farm payrolls. Then we're all right back to the Fed. Yeah, you've been right. Okay, you can sit on your hands. You know, we're, we can keep this kind of easy money going and stock market likes it and so on. Um, uh, but if not, uh, then, uh, then we got something really to talk about specifically in August with the Federal Reserve. So let me just underscore one other thing real quick. What you said about the stock bond ratio. There's 70 million accounts in the United States use a wealth manager to manage their money. Why do people go to a wealth manager? Uh, I know I'm going to upset some of the wealth managers listening because those clients are chicken. If they were really aggressive, they'd just buy S&P ETFs and they'd call it a day or they'd buy triple Qs and they'd call it a day. So they go to a wealth manager because they want to participate, but also have some protection. And the great answer has been the 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds, and it has worked great for the last 20 years. Stock market goes up, you get some appreciation. Stock market wobbles, the 40% leg goes up, you don't have as much downside. If that correlation between stocks and bonds goes away, there's going to be a lot of long faces looking at their wealth managers going, why isn't this working like it used to work? And what are we going to do about this? And why, do my, why is my portfolio appearing to have more risk as you go to a 100-0 portfolio, both stocks and bonds go up together and down together? Uh, and so there will have to be a big rethink about the way that wealth managers put conservative investors into their um, investments. And that will definitely shake up a lot of how Wall Street operates should that unfold, more inflation leading to a zero correlation between the stock and bond portfolios. But that's why they have Dogecoin, right? I mean, that's right. that's that's the other 40% now. No. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So 60% Bitcoin, 40% Doge, yeah. bitch and moan that you haven't doubled your money in the last four days. And then right. now, you're, now you're an investor in 2021. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, getting back to it, it's it's it, it, I am amazed with how quickly all of a sudden investors have gotten into the inflation bandwagon. I will say that just this week for the first time, uh, we've seen the all maturities from two to 30 years out, pricing in two and a half percent plus headline CPI. So over the next two years, all the way out to the next 30 years, the probabilities as implied by inflation swap caps and floors says that we're going to get two and a half plus percent inflation. That's that's the hottest numbers um, on record. And this data doesn't go back that far. It goes back to like 2011 or so. But still, that's that's as hot as it gets. So we're getting a right side tail expected by investors. That's probably why we still have you know, what, 60, 70, 80 basis points of tightening expected into 2023 by the euro dollar curve. Um, and so these guys are going to need to be pleased. And that's going to have to come by way of, you know, some strong 
CPI prints or else, you know, the, the wind's going to come out of these sales very quickly. Um, uh, so again, they're just in need of this as much as anybody in, in, in terms of this rock star performance. And we'll see if it can happen. Well, thank you, Jim and Ben, for your thoughts today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent offerings are Bianca Research and Arbor Data Science. For any further information or questions, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com.